Welcome to Lompoc Foursquare Church's podcast. Enjoy the message. Romans 12, 31 says, Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And last week, we began a two-week conversation on forgiveness. And the great theologian, probably one of the greatest theologians of my time, uh, Mr. Fred Rogers, if, if you're not laughing, you're under 40. Uh, ask, ask somebody with gray hair, they'll explain who Mr. Rogers is. Uh, Mr. Rogers said, the only thing that evil can't stand is forgiveness. Forgiveness is a currency of the kingdom of God that deconstructs the works of evil in our world. It's one of the reasons why God invites us to live as a forgiving people. And it's also one of the reasons that walking out forgiveness can be such a challenge. And I left you with a question last week. As we talked about kind of the theology, uh, we talked scripturally about what forgiveness is and isn't. And I left you with a question. Spend some time this week talking to to Jesus about whether or not you are a person who is willing to follow him on this journey of forgiveness. And somebody caught me uh, at the picnic and said, so John, um, you said two weeks on forgiveness. What week is going to be harder, last week or next week? And I don't know if he was trying to give himself a pass to not come back this week. Uh, So, of course, I said, oh, the one we just finished by far. But it was. I said last, last week, you know, this first week was probably the most challenging because we're inviting people to go back into some painful places again and invite the work of the Holy Spirit to begin to shine his light in places that have long been hidden and to wrestle with the question, do I actually want to live out my discipleship as a person of forgiveness? Once we settle that question, Then we walk out the how-to. So if you missed last week, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to that message. I don't often say that because I'm worried people are going to think, I think I'm awesome. I'll go back. It'll change your life. It's amazing. But it does set the framework for our conversation today. So last week, we really unpacked from Scripture what the Bible has to say about forgiveness. This morning is going to be much more practical. We're going to be talking a lot about the how-to. And if you've come to the place where you said, John, uh, I heard what you said last week, and I, and, I, and I believe I am willing to let Jesus lead me to the place of forgiveness because that's what he, he doesn't simply ask of disciples. That's something that he requires of disciples. My hope is that this morning you hear this message as an invitation to come to a place of healing and restoration, freedom from past pain. I'm going to share with you for a few minutes. It's a shorter message than normal, but then we're going to go to communion. And I believe in the communion moment, The Lord is going to invite us not only to extend, but for some of us in a fresh way to receive forgiveness from the Lord. So we're going to come to a place where I believe we will leave different because we have laid something on the altar before the Lord and said, God, this is something that I've carried that has defined me, that I've I've held on to, that I'm releasing to you. And Scripture says that when we release things to Jesus, he always gives us back something better than what we've relinquished. And yes, I, I mean, I'll be up front. If, if we're going to come to that place, it may cause us, may require an act of obedience from us. But the promise of Scripture is that when we humble ourselves beneath the mighty hand of God, and hear that word, mighty hand, because God doesn't ask us to come to a place of, of uh, vulnerability and humility in regard to other people. We're humbling ourselves beneath the mighty, protective, covering, loving hand of God. He does go on to say, at due time, he will raise us up. 
So I want to remind you just quickly of a couple of things that we said last week in case you missed it, or perhaps as you were processing whether or not you wanted to live as a person of forgiveness. And, and if that was at all a challenge for you, can I just tell you, I'm proud of you for wrestling with it. it it's a challenge for me. I told you last week, there are five people or organizations who have wounded me so deeply that coming to a place of forgiveness was not easy. It was a significant challenge, something that I had to bring to Jesus over and over and over. And I, I want to remind you that there are five myths about forgiveness that somehow find their way into our thinking. We covered these last week, but just in case they raise their ugly head again for you this week, I want to remind you. These are myths. These are not true. The first one is simply this, that forgiveness requires forgetting. That mantra, forgive and forget, is not only foolish, it's impossible. If someone has wounded you to the point where you need to extend forgiveness, you're not going to forget about it. Second is that forgiveness means I treat the person exactly as before. And we said that forgiveness does not require that I put myself in a position where the person who has wounded me can wound me again. We talked about trust needing to be earned, and once it's, it's violated, once it's lost, it can take a long time for that trust to be recovered. The third myth is that forgiveness means that whatever they did wasn't wrong. Sometimes you've told someone you were sorry or you've said, forgive me, and they've said, it's no big deal. It was a big deal, and it is a big deal. And when we extend forgiveness, we are aligning ourselves in the kingdom of God under the hand of God as a disciple of Jesus Christ. We are not saying that that offense for which I have forgiven you wasn't a big deal. If it wasn't a big deal, we wouldn't even need to be having this conversation today. Forgiveness, by definition, means that what was done to me, what was done to you, was not okay. Number four, fourth myth, is that forgiveness means there should not be any consequences. Well, thank you, Jesus, that the forgiveness you have extended to us means that I am free of judgment. But you and I both know that when we sin against God, other people, or even ourselves, there is a process that we often have to walk through where we deal with the consequences of our own actions. Forgiveness, we said, has nothing to do with consequences. Forgiveness has everything to do with vengeance. It's a posture of my heart. And we'll talk about consequences in relation to forgiveness in just a minute. The fifth myth is that forgiveness means that I stop hurting. We forgive because we are hurt, we said. We don't forgive because we're no longer hurting. It's a gift that we offer in our pain. And our example of that is Christ on the cross, right? As he is hanging there, what comes out of his mouth? An appeal for those who are actively crucifying. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. We offer forgiveness in our pain, but it is a critical part of our healing process. And if you are working to forgive someone and you're still experiencing pain, that does not mean you haven't forgiven. Forgiveness is a process. Pain is real. And I, I came up with a sixth one. It's, it's not a slide, but, but this is one that, that I've wrestled with in my life. Um, this myth that forgiveness equates to disloyalty. You know what it means to pick up a secondary offense? Like somebody does something to your spouse or to a friend, and you get really offended, and you're mad, and you're, you're not real quick to forgive that person? Sometimes I feel like offering forgiveness when someone has wronged you makes me a bad friend. But my focus is not in that moment to be a good friend, it's to be a good disciple. I remember when I was a kid, I'm, I'm probably middle school, maybe high school, somebody did my dad dirty. I mean, just really did him wrong. And my dad shared that with me, which probably wasn't wise on his part, because I'm going to pick up that offense. So I'm ticked at this guy, right? Like, oh, that no good, something, something, something. 
And about six weeks later, my dad is talking about that person in a completely different light, like positively, his friend, blah, blah, blah. And I actually said, wait a minute. I thought we're mad at him. Like he'd done something to me. And my dad's like, oh, no, we had a conversation. We got over that weeks ago. I was holding on to my anger and my unforgiveness about this, against this person because I thought as a good son, that's what I needed to do. That is not what I needed to do. So last, last part of review, uh, we said forgiveness in the New Testament involves a couple of different uh, complementary ideas, two different Greek words for forgiveness in the New Testament. We have Paul who is saying, forgive one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. And the word he uses there is charismai. Uh, charismai means to pardon. So he's saying, pardon one another as God in Christ has pardoned you. It speaks of receiving something that you haven't earned. So pardoning recognizes the guilt of the offending party um, because you don't pardon innocent people, but it says what was done was wrong, but I'm going to forgo the right to punish you for that. The second word is ephemi. Ephemi means to let go, to, uh, to give up, or to leave behind. And we, we looked at the passage in Scripture where Jesus calls the disciples to leave their boats, leave their nets, and follow him, and he uses the same word, ephemi me. They ephemied their nets, they ephemied their boats, and they followed Jesus. The last thing we said is forgiveness is not an emotion. Forgiveness is a decision that we make. It's something we choose to do, not something we feel, because if we wait until we feel like forgiving, we're never going to forgive. Okay? So that's what we said last week. There's the recap. And now we're going to move into a couple practical things about how to extend forgiveness. Now, I do want to say that if you came to the conclusion last week after you processed with the Lord um, about whether or not you wanted to live as a person of forgiveness, whether or not this was something you want to extend to people, and, and after kind of prayer and contemplation or just maybe examining the own pain in your life, you went, no, I, I don't want to. Um, I don't fault you for that. I mean, I, I was sincere when I told you to ask that question. These are things that we need to wrestle with. But if you've wrestled with the question of forgiveness all week and, and come to the conclusion that you don't want to, uh, I want to share with you some of the questions I have to ask myself when I don't want to extend forgiveness. These are hurdles that I often have to overcome. Here's the first one. Do I believe that forgiving requires something of the other person first? You know what that's like, right? I will forgive them as soon as they, and you can pay me back, ask for forgiveness, change their behavior. Anybody else ever been there? I'll forgive them, but they're just going to have to do this first. Romans uh, 5.8 says, God shows his love to us in this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us which means that the forgiveness God extended to us did not require that we get better first. It didn't require even that we change our behavior. The change of behavior is something that happened after we received forgiveness. I was, I was talking some of this through with my mom, and I don't know where you go to for spiritual advice. I go to mom. Um, and I don't know how often you get up in front of a church and preach, uh, and I don't know who you send your notes to. I send my notes to my mom. And, and, I mean, it's really helpful. It helps refine my thinking. She's been pastoring way longer than I have. And we were talking about this. And, and she, said, she said, John, one of the places where people kind of are really going to wrestle is with the idea of whether or not I have to go to the person that I am needing to forgive. Do I have to verbally, do I have to go sit down in front of them and say, I forgive you? 
And the reason that that, that becomes a bit of a challenge, and I'm just going to go out on a limb here. I'm going to say no. If you feel like Jesus is leading you to that conversation, by all means. But for those of us who have experienced significant pain, abuse, or trauma, please do not hear me say that you need to go to the person who victimized you, to your abuser, put yourself once again under their influence in order to extend forgiveness, verbally or otherwise. I'm not asking you to do that. I don't believe the Lord is asking you to do that. This is something that you will do in your head and in your heart because extending forgiveness in this context is as much about you as it is about anything else. Thank you, Mom. Do I believe that forgiving requires something of the other person first? No. Has this wrongdoing or resentment become part of my identity? Am I defining myself intentionally or unintentionally by the wrong that was done to me? If so, forgiveness can be a part of resetting our identity. Because in forgiveness, I am choosing to respond as a child of God, which is what I am, not as anything else that I might have become to identify with. I am not a victim, though I may have been victimized. I am not a casualty, though I may have been wounded. I am a child of God, purchased with the blood of Christ, sealed by the very Holy Spirit of God. And so I have to choose whether I want what has done to me to define me or allow Scripture to speak over me who I am. I'm not talking about the impact of trauma, which needs to be resolved. I'm talking specifically about the trauma of unforgiveness. And the fact of the matter is, no matter what is done to me, I can be different because of the difference Christ is making in me. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if anyone is in Christ, this person is a new creation. The old things have gone away. Behold, new things have come. I have had to choose not to allow the wrong done to me to become an identity that I held to. Because as painful as it was, there was a certain measure of comfort knowing that I didn't have to extend myself as a Christ follower. I didn't have to reach out or beyond my own boundaries because I was boundaried by what had happened to me. Are, are you tracking with me? Oh, yeah. You and me, sister, we'll talk. Here's, here's one that goes along with that. Another question I have to ask myself. What are the pleasures I am drawing from this anger and resentment? Fact of the matter was, as a young man, I felt very insecure. I was, uh, I was raised in, in a way that did not allow me really to have much of a voice where it came to interaction or conflict with my father. Uh, some of us were raised by dads that, that lived under the because I said so mantra. And while there's a time and a place for that, it can really stunt a young man's development. And because I could never buck up against my dad and would immediately be shut down, anger was one of the things that made me feel strong where I had felt weak. Whether it was him or someone else, there's this thing that we can do, this place where we can go, where we visualize. You've probably heard this. I mean, it's, it's comical, right? Somebody, somebody tells us a story or maybe, okay, I'll just talk about me. I'll tell somebody a story about something somebody did to me. 
And always at the end of the story is something like, and man, if they try that again, oh, son, it's on like Donkey Kong, right? You have, you have like a middle school student going, next time they do that, I'm throwing down in class. And they're not. They're way too smart for that most of the time. My brother, as it turns out, was not too smart for that. But that's another story. We can feel, fuel ourselves on the anger we feel And that is actually a pleasurable sensation. We entertain the thoughts of vengeance to make ourselves feel better. Maybe that's just me. Or maybe some of you are going, oh, I've done that. Last week we said it's easier to feed our anger than it is to let Jesus deal with our pain. Here's the next question. Is it okay to ask these questions? Is anybody going, please stop? You had me at one. Is there a part of me, this is very closely aligned with the last one, is there a part of me that just really wants to entertain that anger? I'm right, you're wrong, and I'm going to be mad about it. And I'm going to stay mad about it because I am right. You ever, you ever heard somebody say you can, you can win an argument and lose a person? This is that same motivation. I'm right, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right. And you probably are. That's the hard part. But as it relates to life as a disciple, as God has never invited us to take a stand for being right, but for being righteous. And righteousness has to do with having not a, 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 a it has to do with having a right heart, a heart that is at home in the kingdom of God. Here's, here's the second to last one. Take a deep breath because I'm almost done. Is withholding forgiveness about my ego? What are you talking about? Why would withholding forgiveness be about your ego, John? I have the power to forgive. And as long as I withhold it, I feel like I have something over you. I have a measure of control. I have a measure of influence. I have a measure of power. I'm not going to let you go. I'm going to keep you in jail. Because forgiveness feels like humility, and I don't want to be humble in relation to you because you're a jerk and you hurt me. Not pointing at you, Barney. I had to point somewhere. Is it about my ego? The Bible tells me that if I, if I align with my pride, it's, it's going to lead me to a fall. We said last week, right, that unforgiveness ends with two people in jail. Okay, here's the last one. And then we're going to talk about some how-tos. Like, okay, John, thank you for beating us up. I hear you. Let me get beyond it. But here's the last one. This is really the most important question. Is this where I want to stay? Because I can. God, in his love for me, his infinite wisdom, his desire to have a loving relationship with me, allows me to make my own decisions and walk them out. Is this where I want to stay? In this anger, in this pain, in this bitterness. Bitterness, this is from mom too, so you can thank her when you see her. Bitterness is the final face of unforgiveness. You ever been around a bitter person? No? Okay, I'll tell you about it. It's awesome. They are so much fun to be around. They bring life into the room, joy into your heart. Man, you spend much time with a bitter person, you're like, I am never sitting next to you again. Unforgiveness damages and isolates me. So if, okay, I get it, John. I get it. If I decide I don't want to stay here, what do I do? What does it look like to offer forgiveness? Here's just just a couple of thoughts as we walk toward communion. Here's the first one. 
You take the initiative. You take the initiative. Forgiveness begins with you. Don't wait for an apology. You know why? It's probably not coming. Remember the first question? Is there something we're requiring of them before they, we extend forgiveness? If you're waiting for an apology, they probably don't think what they did was wrong. And if they do think what they did was wrong, they're wrestling with all of the same feels that you're wrestling with, not wanting to look stupid, not wanting to humble themselves. Guys, forgiveness is a kingdom of God thing. If you are expecting people who have not aligned with the kingdom of God, who have not become born again, to behave as if they have, you are going to be very, very, very frustrated. We're having a hard enough time doing that as disciples. Fair? So if you wait for an unsaved person to act like they're born again, it's not going to happen. So we take the initiative. People who need to forgive rarely offer it. They, they justify their behavior, right? So if you're waiting for them to go, gosh, Barney, I'm so sorry. What I did was really wrong. It's probably not coming. Even as Jesus did not wait for us to posture ourselves in humility toward him. Jesus looked past our sins. He saw it as lost people rather than as his enemies. Even though Paul says we were his enemies. Jesus chose to see us in a different light, rediscovering our humanity, and came first to us. Romans 5.8. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, not once we figured it out, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's, that's a picture of forgiveness, offering a pardon, sending sin away in the midst of the suffering or in the midst of the sin, not when it's all gone by. Jesus looked at us and he extended mercy. Ephesians 2.8, it's by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves, it's a gift of God. Fun fact. Hurt people, hurt people. It's the world we live in. Hurt people, hurt people. And this, this is the challenge for forgiveness with me. This is probably the greatest part, the hardest part for me, is looking at the person who has done me wrong and seeing more than their behavior, seeing their own brokenness, understanding that what they have done is a sin and it comes out of their own brokenness, their own disconnectedness with God. It doesn't make me feel any better about what they've done, but it does begin to align my heart with the heart of God who sees them the same way and positions me to be more inclined to extend forgiveness. They're a sinner. I'm a sinner. I had a, I had a friend up in the Northwest who, who just told me this beautiful story. He, he felt like there was something he needed to confess for his, to his wife, and, and he hadn't had an affair, but, but it was significant, and he was really wrestling with that, that fear of how am I going to be received as I go to, to ask for forgiveness, and he, he finally sat down, and he confessed to his wife what he'd done, and she begins to cry, and he's like, oh boy, here we go, and the first thing out of his, her mouth is, I'm a sinner too. Game changer. She saw not only his sin, but the brokenness that led him there and was able to meet him in his pain and offer forgiveness because she was aware of her own weakness. Romans 3 says, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. John, that's hard to do. Yes, it is. 
This is why it can't be done apart from the sovereign move of God as we position our hearts open before him and invite the presence of the Holy Spirit. Second thought, forgiveness isn't a feeling. We've touched on this already. It is an incredibly unnatural act. We're making a choice to see things differently in our head about that person, and eventually our hearts are going to follow. Forgiveness begins when I look not at the person, but at Jesus. And I see what he has done for me, the mercy he has shown me, and I decide to trust and obey him in extending this to other people. And so I give up the right to get even. I give up the right to get You, you want a, just a super baseline definition of the word forgiveness, giving up the right to give Remember Paul's word, forgiveness means to pardon or to leave it behind? I can acknowledge that what they did to me was wrong, and I can simultaneously pardon them. Jesus did not demand that we pay the debt that we deserved, but chose instead to pay it himself. It's what Isaiah means in Isaiah 53. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Only you can choose to give up the right to hit back. Nobody else can do that for you. If, if, if I hit Matt, why would I? He's a great guy. If I hit Matt, Colleen can't forgive me for what I've done. You are the only one who can do this. Forgiveness begins with you. Only God could forgive our sins because we had sinned against God. This is one of the things I think Jesus was talking about when he said to us, if you would follow me, you must first deny yourself, take up your cross, and then come after me. I think it's what he meant when he said, if anyone wants to find their lives, they're going to lose it. This is a sacrifice. It is a sacrifice to choose not to hit back at the person who has hit you. It will cost us something. But church forgiveness cost God everything. Forgiveness isn't fair. If forgiveness was fair, you know what we'd call it? If forgiveness was fair, we'd call it judgment. You know what that would mean? I mean, we're all going to hell. Forgiveness isn't fair. Judgment's fair. But God says that mercy triumphs, triumphs over judgment. Forgiveness is an act of faith. Did you know that? Forgiveness is an act of faith. It's, it's me trusting that God is a better justice maker than I am. It's me relieving, uh, releasing all, all my, my own right to get even and leaving all issues of fairness to God and to God alone. Trusting that Jesus has something better for me than the pain it is that I feel now. And it doesn't mean, I, I'm reading a book. Gosh, I would love for you guys to read this book. Um, Forgiveness doesn't mean that I, I don't avail myself of the legal process. It doesn't mean that I remain in a position where I'm, I'm victimized. But listen to what Paul says to the church in Romans. He says, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. There is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Forgiveness means that I'm turning issues of justice over to God and the issues, that are the, the institutions that he created. 
It means I'm not doing it. I'm leaving it in the hands of God. I want to read you a story from Andy Stanley's book, Not In It to Win It. And if you're a reader, read this book. If you're not a reader, read this book. And when you're done, read it again. In November 2021, the Justice Department announced a settlement with families of those fatally shot in 2015 at the Emmanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church in Charleston, South Carolina. No doubt you remember that horrific racially motivated mass shooting. Nine African-American parishioners gunned down by an avowed white supremacist during a Bible study, including a state senator and the church's senior pastor. Mass shootings don't garner the attention or outrage they once did. We've become somewhat desensitized by the sheer volume, but not this one. As horrific as the murders were, what transpired in a Charleston County courtroom two years ago took our national breath away. During sentencing, survivors and relatives of the victims could speak directly to Dylan Roof, the man who had murdered family members and friends, then laughed and bragged about it later. One by one, they forgave the man who gunned down loved ones because of the color of their skin. Anthony Thompson, whose wife Myra was shot and killed at point-blank range, looked his wife's murderer in the eyes and said, I forgive you, and my family forgives you, but we would like you to take this opportunity to ask you to repent, to repent, to confess and give your life to the one who matters most, to Christ. Hear this. Mr. Thompson invited Dylan Roof to make a decision that, according to Thompson's way of thinking, would enable Roof to share heaven with the folks he murdered, including his wife. Are you kidding me? Wouldn't I hope you rot in hell be more appropriate? Perhaps. No doubt that would have reflected Roof's sentiment two years earlier as he calmly pulled, his we- pulled out his weapon, stared into the eyes of his victims, and pulled the trigger over and over and over. But Mr. Thompson and the other folks who addressed Roof were nothing like Dylan Roof. They weren't in it to win it. They had already lost so much. But they weren't there for payback. Justice was being served, but that didn't bring their loved ones back. The posture Anthony Thompson embraced went far beyond what was expected. He reached beyond what the law required. He wasn't being a good citizen. He wasn't even being a good Christian. He was following Jesus, and he wasn't finished. We would like to take this opportunity to ask you to confess and give your life to the one who matters most. Christ, so he can change you. He can change your ways no matter what happens to you. And then his final statement, and you, you'll be okay. Breathtaking at multiple levels. A black man with his own personal history of navigating growing up black in the South forgives and promises to pray for a white nationalist. A Nazi who gunned down his wife friends because of the color of their skin. Why can't we live that way? Forgiveness isn't free. Forgiveness comes at a great personal cost. And that man who extended forgiveness to Dylan Roof in that courtroom in South Carolina, it cost him something. He had to lay his anger and he had to lay his pain at the feet of Jesus. And something miraculous took place when he did that. When we surrender our pain and our anger and our hurt to Jesus, 
the Holy Spirit comes alongside and begins to fill those places that have been violated with the Spirit of God, with his life, with his love, with his grace, and with his mercy. And if he is anything like me, he had to come to this place of forgiveness over and over and over. Every time he thought about the loss of his wife, he probably would have had to forgive Dylan Roof again because the pain would have risen again. And every time the pain rises, we have to make a decision to embrace the pain or embrace the cross. And when we choose to embrace the cross, we extend forgiveness. And over time, as I teach my mind by saying, I choose to forgive, I choose, because remember, it's not a feeling, it's decisions. I choose to forgive, I choose to forgive. Over time, my spirit begins to override my flesh. And as my spirit overrides my flesh, then the fruit of the spirit are introduced into those areas. And I begin to experience, even in the area of my trauma, the peace of God, the joy of God, the patience of God the self-control of God, even in regard to that person or that event. And if it's hard for you, as it's hard for me, ask for help. This is how I ask for help. God, I'm mad. I mean, I'm like good and mad. I want to I, I hurt them. There is something up rising in me that just wants to put this guy in the hospital. But God, I'm choosing to forgive. Now, I need you to help me walk out what forgiveness looks like because I know I can't do it in my own strength. I I don't wait to talk to God until I've got it all figured out and all cleaned up. I've forgiven him. I feel good. It's great. Jesus, isn't this wonderful? I talk to God in my pain. And I talk to God about my pain. And I talk to God about my anger. And I talk to God about my desire for vengeance. And I talk to God about how I want that person just to feel what I feel. And then I invite him to help me pass that. Because I don't want those feelings to govern my life, but rather the Spirit of God. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please visit us at mylfc.com for more information about our church. Thank you so much for listening.